0: What's up party people in a place to be it's your boy the mceo the bkmc talib kwali this is another wonderful fantastic edition of the world's best podcast the people's party and as usual and as always i got my wonderful intelligent lovely talented co-host jasmine lee in the house with me holding down the fort what's up jasmine how you doing
1: Uh, you know what i'm doing amazing i don't know when this is coming out but it's my birthday weekend so i'm having a blast
0: well, guess what, Jasmine? Your birthday weekend is also very close to yes, my birthday weekend. So shout out to all the Libras in the house. It's a big Libra season, big Libra energy. I'm feeling good. I just got my my official COVID test. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? So I, I just ran in here. I'm good, at least for now, until until I run into some other people out there in this pandemic world that we are now living in. Um, but yeah, Jasmine, I'm excited about today's guest. Me too. I think we're going to have one wonderful conversations. How's the baby? She's doing well eating as usual okay good 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 my baby doing the same thing okay so today our guest is a legend in the activism academic political organizing space uh she is the department chair for pan-african studies at cal state los angeles uh, one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter Los Angeles chapter, you might have seen her in the documentary The 13th, where she spoke about cr- criminal justice reform, one of my favorite subjects, or on the show Good Trouble, where she's a consultant and a character on screen. She also has a very uh, famous TED Talk uh, where with the subtitle that I personally love. Resistance is the new normal. That's one of my favorite things I've heard recently. Um, We're talking about a woman, ladies and gentlemen, who is still 100% out in the streets, ground zero, fighting for the people. She's constantly organizing protests, speaking, rallying people together, pushing for legislative action, organizing the masses, showing up in person, answering the calls. In the process, she's been treated like an enemy of the state. But I promise you, this woman is one of the best friends that America and the globe could possibly have right now we need her more than ever ladies and gentlemen the people's party is proud to welcome Malina abdullah give it up Woo!
1: thank you that
2: was a great introduction i feel yes. good about myself after that introduction
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it's all earned and all deserved and uh We try to give people their flowers here at the People's Party. Part of the reason we developed this show is to talk to people like you. We've had a lot of rappers on. We've had a lot of famous actors and comedians on. But as much as I love bringing those type of people on, and a lot of them are my friends and family, and a lot of them overlap in the activist space, using this platform to bring on activists and bring the type of activist work that you do to a larger audience is really what, for me uh is the reason why we did this show right right
2: and actually i only met you one time but we met doing activist work in ferguson because we share a mutual uh uh, sister and spirit rosa clemente is my dear dear friend and so um i'm glad to be in space with you and get a chance to talk with you um not in the midst of chaos so well in the midst of chaos but not in the midst of chaos right
0: Mm mm-hmm Yes. Understood, understood. Yeah. Uh, thank you for bringing up, Rosa. Um, when I was reading up on you, I, I thought the same thing. I heard you, I, I read about you speaking on mm-hmm. Rosa. And I'm like, oh, we have to have met yeah. someplace before. Yeah. All right. Um, so I want to start by talking about your TED Talk. Um, again, I like the title, Resistance is the New Normal. I try to live my mm-hmm. life that way. Um, in that speech, you said something that resonated with me. You said, our sanity and our humanity depend on our our resistance. Uh, we're resisting so that our children can live and walk in a world that's really free. Um, can you explain for people who might not understand how crucial movement work is to shaping America's future? Sure. So
2: this world is intentionally and deliberately created in this way, right? So every system that we live under, Mm -hmm. it's not like we stumbled into these systems that put Black people at the bottom of every single social, political, and economic measure. Manny Marable writes about this, right? That these are designed Mm -hmm. intentionally to produce these outcomes. When we talk about policing, policing evolves from slave catching, which intentionally put targets on the backs of Black people. And so it's important that as we think about these systems and the ways in which these systems seize upon us, prey upon us, exploit us, that we not submit to those systems. The only way we preserve our sanity and humanity is by resisting those systems and becoming abolitionists in our approach. One, seeking to topple Mm -hmm. the systems that seek to keep us oppressed, seek to exploit us, seek to... Um, profit from our demise. Um, So we have to topple those systems and we have to engage in what Robin Kelly calls our radical imagination and really envision new forms of public safety or old forms of public safety, right? Forms of public safety that are indigenous and um, helpful to who we are as Black people. Um, so forms of public safety, forms of health care, forms of education, um, economic structures that are liberatory, not oppressive.
1: Um, during that same TED Talk, you used the phrase white supremacist, patriarchal, heteronormative capitalism often. <laughs> um, for those that don't know or have never heard of these words put together in that exact way, can you break down what that means and why you have made it your life's work to resist it? Sure. So
2: it's really important that we think about um, how we stand at intersections, right? That we stand at the intersection of racism, of sexism, of heterosexism and transphobia, Mm -hmm. of capitalism, and that we're oppressed according to all of these different axes, right? So when we use the term Mm -hmm. white supremacist, we're talking about the precise way in which racism actually works, right? We live mm-hmm. in a white supremacist mm-hmm. system. We live in a patriarchal system, a system that seeks to ex- exploit women. And I mean by that cis, trans, um, gender nonconforming women seeks to mm-hmm. exploit us according to gender. Um, and then, you know, the way in which people are exploited and oppressed according to um, sexual orientation, sexual identity. And then finally, the way in which capitalism is kind of an um, overarching umbrella that utilizes all the different forms in order to um, Extract money and profit from us and there's other axes we could add in right like I know that some of the Oppression that I experience is because I'm a black working-class woman But it's also because I'm a black working-class Muslim woman, right? And so how does that Mm -hmm. play in so it's really just talking about those intersections of oppression?
0: Yeah Word up. Right now I'm in Yellow Springs, Ohio, which is sort of like a blue dot in a in a red sea. Um, this is a very, very sort of progressive town. There are Black Lives Matter signs all over the place. There's a strong Muslim community here. Uh, Dave Chappelle, who has a lot of Muslims in his family and and, and, and is a Muslim as well. Um, he's here. Um, Antioch College is here. And that's part of why, it you know, that added to the sort of progressive nature of this town. Um, it's an anomaly. It's an open carry state. Mm. Uh, Ohio is largely pro-Trump, um, but Yellow Springs feels like feels like this sort of oasis here um, for me personally. But it's also because of my proximity to to mm-hmm. Dave. Right, um, I'm 15 minutes away from Beaver Creek. Beaver Creek is where uh, Beaver Creek poli- Beaver Creek police officer Sean Williams shot and killed a 22 year old black man who was holding a toy gun.
2: John Crawford. Uh, he was
0: about to buy a toy gun in, mm-hmm. Wa- in Walmart. That's right, John Crawford. Um, this same cop. Pulled Dave Chappelle over a week before he killed John wow. Crawford. Um, a woman died of a heart mm-hmm. attack while running away from the shooting, which is something that I just right. found out recently. Uh, Tamir Rice was killed in Cleveland uh, by police officer uh, Timothy Lohman within two seconds for holding a toy gun. Sam DuBose, a rapper from Cincinnati, Ohio, who was around me back mm-hmm. in the day, was killed while unarmed by Ray Tensing. You, you speak a lot about why we, don't, why we can't have cops in these schools. This was a UC University cop who stopped Sam DuBose Mm. for a missing front license plate, Um, working with high tech uh, from who's from Cincinnati early in my career. That had me spending a lot of time out here in Ohio. And I noticed that there are very limited opportunities for young black people. So when I heard the story of 23 year old Black Lives Matter activist, Marshawn uh, McCarroll, for the first time listening to your Mm. TED talk, it resonated with Mm. me. For those who don't know, Marshawn took his own life with a handgun on the steps of the Ohio State Capitol in Columbus, Ohio, which is about an hour away from where I'm at right now. Uh, many media outlets reported his last words as being, Today, my demons won, I'm sorry. But you and your TED talk point out that his actual last words were, Let the record reflect that I pissed on the statehouse steps before I left. There are religious stigmas around suicide, but instead of putting that on Marshawn, you instead compare him to would-be enslaved Africans that jumped overboard during the Middle Passage because they understood the need to live free or die trying. Mm. So my question is, why do you personally feel so connected to this young man's story? Um, And how is Black mental health impacted by the intergenerational trauma of slavery, Jim Crow, lynching, the Klan, and racism?
2: Wow, that's a big question. That's a big question. So when I did that TED Talk, um, it was a few years ago, and... Mm -hmm. Um, Marshawn's death was ringing really heavy and it was immediate, right? It was um, an immediate response Mm -hmm. um, to, I still count that as a state-sanctioned murder, right? I still count that as um, the state took so much from Marshawn that Mm -hmm. he had to, you know, he couldn't um, continue to live on a slave ship. And I think many of us, we can compare it actually to this moment, right? Now I'm going to get a little emotional. I can feel it coming. Um, Every Mm -hmm. Wednesday, we protest in front of the district attorney of Los Angeles office. Her name is Jackie Lacey. And since she's been in office, 622 people have been killed by police and she refuses to prosecute them. Um, Mm -hmm. I think all over the world, but especially in Los Angeles, where since the murder of George Floyd, L.A. County sheriffs alone have killed eight people. And then there's more that have been killed by LAPD and the other smaller policing departments. Um, So it's safe to say in Los Angeles, at least 20 folks have been killed in the last three months by police. So this is heavy. You know, and so I said that in order to preserve our humanity and our sanity, we have to rebel against these systems. We have to resist these systems. We can't succumb to these systems. And at the same time, the way in which the struggle is constant, the way in which the war declared on Black people is constant, weighs heavily and takes a toll on us. And so on Wednesday, last Wednesday, I usually go and I bring my three children. I'm a single mom of three kids, um, 10 uh, newly minted 14 year old as of a couple days ago and uh, a 16 year old. And my 16 year old daughter um, is pretty well known in the activist community. Um, both of my daughters, all three of my kids were co-founders of Black Lives Matter Youth Vanguard. Wow. Um, And my oldest daughter is um, very outspoken and talks a lot about what children need, what it means to be a black girl, a black Muslim girl right now. And as we were at that protest, she came on stage and sometimes she speaks and sometimes she doesn't. But she came on the stage and said, I wrote a will. And this girl is 16. And she was like, I wrote a will. You know, and as she said it, of course, a lot of us begin to cry that a 16-year-old girl shouldn't need a will. But the constant heaping of oppression upon the backs of even our children tell us that, you know, she's saying two things. The state could steal her life, but also underneath it. And what I feel with my middle daughter as well, who I've had to hold in the midst of all of it, is how do you keep them from breaking, right? Mm-hmm. How do we keep ourselves mm-hmm. from breaking? When we think about what happened yesterday, where Breonna Taylor's yeah. murderers were given a green light, you know, we're given yeah. a pass, we're allowed to steal the life of this 26 year old, young, vibrant, beautiful woman who was putting herself on the line for other people. And the state stole her life and was told, hey, it's okay, you didn't do anything wrong except, you know, maybe some stray bullets that went into the apartment of the white folks who live next door, right? I was blessed to be a part of a um, documentary that this beautiful filmmaker, Ogi did on Black women. It's called Invisible Portraits. And she said... You know, who are Black women to you? And I said in the film, and I'll echo it here, that Black women are divine. Black women are divine.
0: That's right.
2: But this society that we live in tells us that we're the opposite of who we are. And so, this question about mental health, right? And I mean that for Black women, but I mean it for Black people as well, right? They try to tell us that we're not who we are. And Mm -hmm. That can be um, torturous. It is torturous. And I think um, the only thing that allows us to um, really kind of come back into who we are is um, a recentering and a reclamation mm-hmm. of Black autonomy. And for Marshawn McCarroll, his Black autonomy was the right to say, you know, this is how I live and this is how I go. And I'm going to resist on my way out by pissing on the, on the statehouse steps.
1: Uh, it's, it's a lot going on. I know a lot of my friends are dealing with uh, their mental health and everything, too, especially black women, because it just feels like the world doesn't care about you. And you just have to keep telling yourself that you do matter, that you do deserve to be here because it can really get overwhelming. During that same TED Talk, you also said that Black unemployment rate is almost double that of other races. White households, on an average, bring in 15 times more income than Black households. There's clearly a, rate, a racial wealth gap. How do we, how do we best go about solving, solving it? So I'd
2: love for us to talk about what autonomy means, right? So, you know, Malcolm X is still right. You cannot have capitalism without racism. You cannot. So undoing capitalism is a Black issue. Um, And so we have to think about how to do that, how to imagine new economic systems. Um, We've been accused recently in Black Lives Matter of being Marxists. I'm going to say straight up, I'm not a Marxist. I'm an African socialist, right? Because Mm -hmm. Marx came to the party late right? Um, it is mm-hmm. an African principle that people should have all of what they need. And that if we live in a world of abundance, there's no shortage of food or housing or any kind of resource, right? there's mm-hmm. it, It's mm-hmm. totally possible and plausible for everybody to have great healthcare and great yes. education, right? And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm looking at you as you're You know, doing this and nursing your baby and looking beautiful all at the same time. And (laughs) that's right. You know, in African societies, you'd have a whole team of people around you to, after you nurse Marco, you can hand her off to the mama or the grandma or whoever else the sister who's there right that you Mm -hmm. get to we need to imagine societies as we talk about you know wealth disparities and income disparities we need to be imaginative and recognize that we've had it before my neighborhood had it growing up not to the degree we could have but you know i'm from east oakland california right and You know, I think about how my grandparents who lived across the street, you know, they would raise their garage door and all the kids would come over there during the summers and breaks and we'd have Kool-Aid and snacks and Bible study. And nobody had to worry about Mm. where do you send your kids for the summer, right? We Mm -hmm. can do this if we engage in Black autonomy, if we practice Black cooperative economics. And so I'm not talking about... Absolutely. I'm not talking about um, replacing white capitalism with black capitalism. I'm saying that Mm. we have indigenous to who we are as black people, as African people, a principle, a guiding principle of Ujamaa, cooperative economics, that we cannot allow people to fall. We have to meet everybody's needs and we have the complete capacity to do so.
0: Yeah, um following up with that, I've been having this conversation with my son, who my son Amani largely agrees with me on politics. I would say that he identifies as a pan-Africanist. Um, but he also wants to make money. And he he wants to, he's been talking to me about uh stock market stuff, which I'm not familiar with the stock market. I've never invested in the stock market. I know I don't know too much about it, but I got friends who were who want to invest in it or invested in it. My son is asking me about it. Um, just from my own research. It seems to me that by its very existence, the stock market grows the racial wealth gap. Um, So, I guess my question is knowing that all white intergenerational wealth further increases the wealth gap, is the very act of white people investing in the stock market unethical? And is it different for black folks?
2: So, I don't know anything about the stock market. That's a terrible
0: question. Uh, Okay, (laughs) me neither. I'm sorry, sorry.
2: but I will say we we
0: have a guy we have a guy on our team that that, uh, Baramucci that hates the stock market and and he make, he gives me all this information about how the stock market is racist and most of it looks legit and so you know and this question about the racial wealth gap that's why I brought it up now but I, but I appreciate you being like I don't really know too much about the stock market <laughs> I do know
2: <laughs> that it has to be racist because African slaves were brought enslaved people were brought to Wall Street that's mm-hmm. the original um, trade that mm-hmm. that was right. used for Wall Street was the trading of African people as enslaved property.
0: And they had the burial ground yep. down there the whole yep. time, right? Yeah. Um, I remember them finding the burial ground when I was working at Akira yep. Books.
2: Finding our bones. They found our bones. And yeah. gratefully, you know, we had some African folks, um, African folks living in this country who said, we're not just going to move the bones. We're going to do some spiritual work around them. And so I'm grateful for that. But I mean, if we want to talk about whether or not the stock market is racist, that's the one thing I can point to to say, hell yes, it's racist.
0: (laughs) Okay. Now we both have African names. Your name is very beautiful. Um, We both named our children African names. Um, What's in a name and why did you feel like it was important for black people in America to retain African names?
2: Um, Your name is who you're being called by. Your name is mm-hmm. the essence in some ways of who we are. And so I think mm-hmm. it's important. Um, now I'm going to answer something you didn't ask me, but I'm going to answer it anyway. So okay. shut me up <laughs> I'm talking to We're you here mom. for
0: it. We're here for all the <laughs> knowledge.
2: So when I had, so I love my name. My name um, is actually, my first name is African in the sense that my mother invented it right? Um, my great aunt mm-hmm. is right. Lena. And my mom mm-hmm. thought Lena was too plain. And so she added my grandmother's name to the front of it. My great, my grandmother's name is Maxine. And so um, mm-hmm. she named me Malina and changed the spelling to M-E-L-I-N-A instead of M-A-L-E-N-A. Okay. So that's how my front, Very my clever. first name is African. Um, okay. But I love my name. I love the fact that my middle name um Rachel is um and here's another kind of africanness that we don't always think of my great 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 grandmother Rachel was the first woman to be brought to this country of my bloodline as an enslaved person and so i carry wow. her name with me and so sometimes people go well why are you carrying that european name no that's not a european name that is my Grand, my great-great-great-great-grandmother's name, and I will always carry that That's name. Right. Um, so here's the question you didn't ask me. Um, okay. When I gave birth to my first daughter, Tandiwe, um, I understood the importance of giving her a name that would reflect her essence. And so mm-hmm. I spent almost my entire pregnancy going through books of African names looking at their meanings. I wanted something that sounded good as well as had a beautiful meaning. And so um, Mm. my husband at the time and I narrowed it down to about 15 names. And then when I went to the hospital to give birth, we brought that list with us, but we refused to name her until we lived with her for about three days. And Mm. so Mm. she was the sweetest, most calming spirit, And I tell her often, like, giving birth to her those moments that first year after her birth was the most profound and meaningful and beautiful time in my entire life. I said, I don't care if this is fake. Like, I constantly questioned whether this joy, the joy that I felt could be real. Right. And so her name means Mm -hmm. the loving one. Tandiwe means the loving one in Zosa, and it means beloved in Zulu. And so it it was important for me that she have a name that reflects the essence of who she is, and that's what I did with all my children. My middle daughter Amara is an Ethiopian legend of paradise. My son Amen. It means his name means manifestation of the power of the universe. So, you know, I think names are hugely important.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: My yes. name is Jasmine, which is normal, but I used to always uh, envy my siblings because they all have Arabic names, every single one of them except for me. And now with my daughter, my mother um, named her middle name Elia, which means um, one who is with God, or strong with God. Mm. So I'm happy that she has, you know, what I didn't because I always wanted one.
0: Also, Jasmine is a beautiful name. That's what you run your fingers through when you, you know, feel the summer breeze. Yes, you know? and
1: I smell good too. It's beautiful. Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I still wanted an Arabic name. You always want what you don't have. Uh, You were born born in East Oakland. Uh, That's a storied place, the town from the legacy of the Black Panthers to Oakland's own Ryan Coogler directing Marvel's Black Panther and starting it off in Oakland. Um, From the hustle and grind of flow to E-40 and too short to the conscious and independence of hieroglyphics. The Bay represents lovely for Black culture. How did growing up in East Oakland influence your outlook on life?
2: Oh, it's everything, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> town yeah, town business for real. And I'm of the Panther <laughs> Cub generation, right? So um, people often ask me, like, well, when was your first protest? I don't know, because if you are from East Oakland of my generation, you were raised protesting. Like, I remember mm-hmm. Being a toddler and being on picket lines with my father, who was a union carpenter, right? I remember being at the park and handing out newspapers and like competing with my cousins to see who could get the next person, right? I remember constantly, I mean, you could have a political conversation in Oakland with anybody, with who's sitting next to you at the bus stop, with the houseless brother on telegraph. You could have um, conversations about how the world needs to be transformed with anybody. And so Oakland is everything. Oakland, you know, was the seed. I also went to the only high school in the country at the time with a black studies department. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up in East Oakland, which had terrible schools. So my mother, who's uh, who was an elementary school teacher, um, used her godmother's sister's address so that I could go to school in Berkeley, starting in uh, middle school, right? Starting in junior high. And Mm. so I went to Berkeley High School, which was the only high school in the country with a black studies department. And Mr. Navies, who chaired that department, um, totally shaped me. And he's the reason I teach Pan-African studies now. And so it's, yeah. Mm. Anybody from Oakland will tell you Oakland is everything from Too Short to uh, Huey P. Newton to Sly and the Family Stone, right? All of us have been in- mm-hmm. influenced heavily by um, being from the town.
0: Yes. Um, when I first took a Greyhound bus to Los Angeles, I met Mystic Journeymen at uh, the Good Life Cafe. And they event- they invited me up to Oakland. And I hung out with them in Oakland. Then I got to Berkeley. Shout out to my man Chris Riggins from Berkeley. Um, it's Le- Leopold's. So that's in yes. Berkeley, right? Yep. Yep. I saw, I saw Del the Funky Homo Sapien at Leopold's. I saw the Who Riders at Leopold's. I was hanging out with Hieroglyphics and Hobo Junction. And so that year, 1995, me spending in the Bay Area helped to shape me a lot as an MC. Um, you know, um, the whole, the whole E40 and Too Short How They Independent, uh, you know, Conscious Daughters and, and, uh, and Boots Riley and the Cool and all them, you know, like I, The Bay Area is very influential to me as a a writer and as an artist and as an activist. Um, uh, You mentioned Pan-Africanism. Can you break that down and tell us what that means? Explain the concept of reparations um, and why the concept of reparations is based on Pan-Africanism rather than an allegiance to America.
2: Yeah, yeah. so that's a big question. So I'm going to do a shorthand version of Pan-Africanism, right? Pan-Africanism is the idea and the understanding that Black people, no matter where we are in the world, are connected, right? So we can think of the works Mm -hmm. of people like George Padmore, of people like Kwame Nkrumah, of Kwame Ture, Um, and it's the idea that you can't get free as an African living in America without... You know, struggling for the freedom of the continent without struggling, struggling for the freedom of African folks in Latin America without making sure that mm-hmm. the Caribbean is also free—it's the reason why we have to constantly keep our eyes on Haiti. Right? We can't, um, right. you know, just pretend like mm-hmm. that. I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me in trouble, but we are not African-Americans, right? We are not Mm African-Americans. We are African people who live in what is America, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And at least that's how I see myself. It's important to understand that the struggle for reparations for Africans who have lived and who descend from enslaved people in America is not separate and apart from the colonization and the pillaging of the continent of Africa from where we hail, right? It's important to right. reject these ideas that Europeans put in our minds, that white folks put in our minds, that Um, and I hate to repeat it, but that African people sold themselves into slavery. That's not what happened, right? right? Anybody who reads um, Slavery and Social Death by Orlando Patterson will know, yes, there was slavery all over the world, but it's only the European branded enslavement of African people in the Americas that centered dehumanization. Mm Right. And so it's important to understand that where there would be the enslavement of people on the continent of Africa, people were enslaved for reasons like they were prisoners of war. They owed a debt. They were um, had committed a crime and that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. status as an enslaved person was not hereditary, that their children, their mm-hmm. descendants were born free. Right. And. Um, and anyway, I could go into all the rules and that kind of thing. But as we talk about reparations, we're absolutely owed reparations. This country is built upon yes. the stolen land of indigenous people and the stolen labor and lives of African people. And so we are mm-hmm. owed that. And so people will say, well, that happened a long time time ago. Well, one, it wasn't that long ago. Right. So we need to think about mm-hmm. 1865, my great-grandfather, the person who I was telling you who kept his garage door open, he is the son Mm. of a slave. He was born in 1900. His father was enslaved. So the person who was, the man who was most influential in my life is the son of an enslaved person, right? So it wasn't that long ago. But two, let's say, that somebody stole your grandfather's car, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, they stole your grandfather's car. It was your grandfather's car, not your car. But when your grandfather passed, he was going to pass the car down to you, right? And now you don't have it. <laughs> now you don't have the car. But guess what? Right. The grandson of the thief is now driving the car, continues to drive the car that you were <laughs> supposed to have. That's still your car. So mm-hmm. they still right. owe us. They owe us all this the wealth that created analogies. off of our backs is owed to us. We are mm-hmm. absolutely owed reparations. But here's where I'm going to circle it back to the Pan-African piece. It also needs to be bigger than Africans in America. They pillaged the continent mm-hmm. of Africa. Reparations are also owed to the continent of Africa, to African people on the continent as well.
0: Um, you mentioned when you are talking about Black Lives Matter that uh, people try to say a Black Lives Matter are Marxist. Now, uh, Marxism was embraced by Black revolutionaries like the Black mm-hmm. Panthers who are from the part of the world that you're from. Marxism, capitalism, um, excuse me, Marxism, communism, this stuff has been demonized by capitalists, Western countries. So we never learned that it was like communists who helped fight against the Nazis. Uh, Nazis Largely are anti-communist, anti-socialist. You said you identified as an African socialist. I get called a commie on online all day long, as if it's the 1950s and McCarthy's campaign is still going. <laughs> there are there are all types of misinformation campaigns spread online to try to convince people that left-leaning political ideologies like communism, Marxism, socialism, or anything that isn't capitalism, right? There's there's online campaigns to try to convince people that this stuff is aligned with Nazi ideology and must be stopped. Um, Do you see this as a threat? And can you explain, for those who don't know, how this sort of American profit over everything brand of capitalism uh, ultimately always contributes to the disempowerment of marginalized people? So
2: we are fed this idea, we're socialized from the beginning to believe that democracy and capitalism work in tandem. When we really Mm. understand that one is a political Um, belief and one is an economic Mm -hmm. structure will understand Mm -hmm. that they're actually in opposition to one another. So if democracy really and literally translates as rule by the people and capitalism Mm -hmm. says a very few, the ownership class owns the means of production and profits from the unpaid labor of the worker. And I, Sometimes we use these terms and people who are unfamiliar with the terms go, what does that mean? It means that the reason Mm -hmm. you go to McDonald's is not because the burgers are good. You go to McDonald's because somebody else did the work and you wanted to just drive through and get food, even if it's inferior food. So you paid for the labor. Right. right? Those burgers are not worth eight dollars. Right. The person's labor is worth eight dollars. And instead of being paid $8 a burger, they're paid 50 cents a burger. And McDonald's takes the other $7.50, right? So that's the unpaid labor of the Mm -hmm. worker. That is really an undemocratic economic system because there are more of us in the working class than there are McDonald's owners, right? And so Mm -hmm. if we had, if there was rule by the people, We would say, why aren't workers getting $8 a burger? We should get $8 a burger. We should all share in this, right? And so it's important Mm -hmm. that we not just fall for what we've been socialized to believe, that we reject Mm -hmm. um, really this brainwashing that happens that tells us that the world we live in is the best world we can have. We can have something different. And um, it's important to struggle for it. So when you talk about like online, how they call us commies, how they say we're Marxists. And again, I'll lift up that I'm not a Marxist. I'm an African socialist. One of the distinctions there for me is that Marxism doesn't believe in spirituality and anything that takes away my spirituality, Mm -hmm. I'm done, right? But I do believe Mm -hmm. that everybody should have all of what they need and most of what they want, and that we live in a world of abundance where we can create that. I do believe in the practice of cooperative economics, the economic structure of cooperative economics. So when they call us these things, really what they're doing is trying to um, refute our leadership. They're trying to stamp out our vision. Um, and I'm gonna tell you something else that we're recently um they've started calling us. They've started us started calling us in Black Lives Matter, the black women and Black Lives Matter, not just Marxists, but Marxist witches, because we pour libations. Wow. So I think wow. if you don't believe I'm a witch, and hopefully nobody believes I'm a witch, right? Um mm-hmm. And Then you shouldn't believe I'm a Marxist either. You should see it with the same
1: <laughs> ridiculousness. Um, I've told you. I mean, what there I are some am.
0: good witches. You could be like Glenda, the good witch, or know? Sabrina, right. the, or Sabrina,
1: not the right. one that's on Netflix, the one that was before Netflix, the the bright and happy. See, we're we showing
0: our we showing our ages here. Uh, my my reference is Glenda. Yours is Sabrina.
1: I mean, um. I, I I watched Wizard um. of Oz too, but yeah, Sabrina's
0: my girl.
2: <laughs> Linda was wasn't that Lena okay. Horne was that Lena Horne's character? Yeah, that Lena was,
0: Horn. and I I was in this in the in the Whiz mm-hmm. uh, in the scene where Lena Horne is singing. Uh, there there are babies floating as stars, and I'm one of them babies. So. I need to rewatch me. it because yeah. of that. We are need to really have serious yeah. he is. Yeah, my fr- my grandfather Stanley Green plays Uncle M in oh, the movie. Wow. And my family was involved in that production.
2: Oh, that's my yeah. like one of my favorite movies. So now me I'm too. gonna try and find which <laughs> baby you are.
0: Yeah.
1: We gotta have a, um, a, cl- we have to have the Wiz movie night so we can point out to Liz. Yeah, zo-
0: Zoom Zoom Wiz uh, movie I'm night. Down. I used to get royalty checks for years. Sh- like I get royalty checks for like thirty cents. You know, my peoples was on it back then. I had a SAG card and all that. Yes. <laughs> that inf- well, you're still in SAG. Um, Once
1: in SAG, you're always there. They need to put that on Netflix so you right. get your checks that's back.
0: That's right. Um, but um, uh, Malina, I'm glad you mentioned uh, you know, sort of you you you. Uh, separated yourself from Marxism because of the spirituality thing, right? And um that's something that I've noticed personally just you know Bernie Sanders is the um mainstream idea of what socialism is, right? And and you have these people like they call them Bernie bros, but I found, you know, we were talking about Hannibal, we were talking to Hannibal Burris mm-hmm. and how I got trolled by Bernie Sanders supporters uh, because he had bought a building. And they were like, "Eat the rich," and we're going to cut off your head mm-hmm. and and stuff like this. And he's like, "Damn, as a black man, I can't even try to have some financial stability in my life." And 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 even with me, like you know, um, when I, I noted that Bernie Sanders had had supported Biden, mm-hmm. they were like, you know, the Bernie Sanders supporters they start calling calling me a slave of the Democratic plantation, oh, and the idea that ooh. you know the the idea that 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 a white progressive. Right. Could, could call a black man a slave right. and use the same language against us that the GOP is using just because we noted that your guy is now voting supporting the, the establishment choice right. you know that to me is that removal of spirituality for people who who try to put these sort of economic class ideologies over race and say we should only talk about class and we shouldn't talk about race um so for you how do you reconcile those who filter America's, failing with the failures of capitalism and those who filter America's failing through the history of slavery and Jim Crow and all that. You know, what's what's, what's your take on the argument between what's more important, class or race? I don't think we have to choose, right?
2: I mean, mm-hmm. I think that, again, Malcolm X said you cannot have capitalism without racism. Absolutely, we have to mm-hmm. topple capitalism. But I know you've been to Cuba, you know. hmm there's, yes, I so I have an uncle who was there, and mm-hmm. they try to talk about Cuba as not having racism. Yeah. And I love Cuba, so I'm not going, you know, it's it's a beautiful place to be. There is, you know, a lot that we can learn from Cuba. Um, the first trip that I took to Cuba, there was a sister who cut her foot and it got infected. And she walked into the hospital and they fixed it and gave her medicine. And that was it. And then she left and she wasn't oh, well. even Cuban. Yeah. It was like awesome, right? We went into these women and children houses that they have in every neighborhood where, you know, only women and children can go in. They do each other's hair. They talk about like sex and, you know, it's, it's really a beautiful space. However, mm-hmm. I think that um, there's a lot of emphasis on what the end of capitalism in Cuba meant in terms of race that isn't actually completely true. And Mm -hmm. um, I watched as some of my sisters who were darker skinned than me when we went to the beach in Cuba, how the police treated them and um, the assumptions that were made about who they were. Now, I was okay because, you know, I'm lighter skinned. But for darker skinned Mm -hmm. black Cubans, there was clearly some at least colorism. And so I think it's important that we're honest about capitalism, is, the end to capitalism is not going to completely solve racism, that we have to be willing to undo all of these interlocking systems of oppression and engage in them fully. And especially white folks who are um, leftists and who call themselves socialists mm-hmm. or Marxists, Have to understand the complication of things for Black people, right? Have to understand that even as we call ourselves socialists, there's also this idea of how do we still support our families, though? And there's kind of some contradictions. Like, um, I remember when people came at BLMLA because we forged a partnership with One United Bank, the largest Black owned bank in the country, which is really not a large bank, but um we forged Mm. a partnership because they were helping to pay for the funerals and college funds of people who were um stolen by police violence and um Mm. they were like oh you're a capitalist no we're not capitalists but Mm. where is your money your money's at wells fargo be quiet
1: right um (laughs) and so
2: what are the contradictions and so i actually um went to one of my babas who's um a member of the San Francisco Eight was one of the early members of the Black Panther Party. His name is Hank Jones. And he was like, you know, there's always contradictions. There's something that we practice called survival pending revolution. And I think for a white socialist and white Marxists, they don't get what it takes for black people to survive. And sometimes there's going to be contradictions mm-hmm. Um, And we have to work on toppling racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and capitalism Mm -hmm. all at the same time. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you and your white self are not going to understand what we're doing.
1: All right. Remember earlier before we started, I said that I was a fan. I am a fan and you're on one of my favorite shows, Good Trouble. And I really (laughs) like watching the show um, because uh, it really... It really talked about things that are going on today and um, specifically with the protesting and how you guys showed how you have like the secret meetings, how you have to pick who's on the front lines um, to make sure, you know, people don't get used to them. I don't know how um, true the show is to what you actually do, but I do know. I've been a part of some BLM protests and everything, you know, and getting the text messages and going to the meetings of that nature. So I really think that that show um, is important. Can you tell me how do you feel like that show and programs like it can help move forward the progressive movement and the cultural conversation by expiring and activating a new generation?
2: Sure. So that is one of my life's joys is being on Good Trouble. I love (laughs) being on Good Trouble. Um, and it was the vision of Patrice Cullors, who's one of our co-founders. Um, mm-hmm. So Patrice is an artist. She was consulting on Good Trouble. Wh- was brought in as a consultant on Good Trouble, and everything that we do around the BLM storyline is um, really true to who we are as Black Lives Matter. In fact, um, one of the scenes from last season where we did this disruption inside this fancy hotel lunch was something mm-hmm. that Patrice and I actually did. Um, and we had our children with us, actually, at the time that we did it.
1: Rosa's daughter was with us.
2: Um, did someone so, actually have
1: a restraining order as well?
2: No. So there is okay. no restraining order, but a lot of it, most of it actually comes from who we are as Black Lives Matter. What I love is the the way in which um, we were brought into good trouble. Um, it happened because mainstream news stopped covering Black Lives Matter. And so Patrice as an artist was like, okay, if the news won't cover it, we can just do it creatively. And thankfully, Mm -hmm. Joanna Johnson, um, uh, who started the show, she had the Fosters before that, right? I love Um, that show
1: too. That's how I got on Good Trouble.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Joanna, you know, brought Patrice in and we were able to incorporate who we are and what it is we do as Black Lives Matter as a main part of Good Trouble and I'm grateful they developed like the Malika character to... Yes. Um, yeah. And here's the last thing I'll say about it. What's beautiful is when we, they actually have us do kind of workshops and trainings for the cast and the crew of Good Trouble mm-hmm. so they can deepen their understanding of what it is we do and um, Good Trouble um, folks come out to our protest. So just on Wednesday, like Sherry... Um, Cola was out at our protest against um Jackie Lacey.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I actually did background for um one of the speeches. Uh I think it was season one. I didn't get shown, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. I was there. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. Um, I want to shout out uh Kayla Reefer, who's a filmmaker, photographer that I work with. She worked with myself and Nico Is, and thanks, Joey, on a YouTube thing I did called Colors of the Culture TV. She recently shot the Time magazine cover with Alicia and Opal and Patrice, and I definitely want to give her a shout-out for that because I've seen where she came from. Um, It's such a beautiful cover. Um, I want to talk about Black Lives Matter for a second. Um, First of all, we love Patrice. She's a friend of the show. She came on the show. Um, uh, Melina, when I met you in Ferguson, it had to be because... I met, I met Patrice in Ferguson as well, Um, but I met, I want to say either Oprah or Alicia, I'm not sure which one, I met one of them in Tallahassee the year before with the Dream Defenders, so, um, you know, it just, it just keeps, keeps going, Um, we're in this era where people attach the hashtag, it's a wonderful hashtag, very efficient, BLM, to anything that seems like resistance work without making sure that they actually align with the stated principles of Black Lives Matter. Uh, we have grifters raising money fraudulently in a name Black Lives Matter. How do people tell the difference between real Black Lives Matter work and all the frauds out there?
2: Right. So one of the things we ask people to do is to look for our seal. So if, if it's mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, we all have an official seal. Also, um, if it's something we're doing, you'll see it shared on our official social media. If you're on a social media account that says Black Lives Matter um, Tallahassee, it doesn't have an official seal. And that chapter is not listed on blacklivesmatter.com. They might be doing great work but they're not aligned Mm -hmm. with the global network or with our newly launched Black Lives Matter grassroots, which is doing the on the ground work and um, kind of organizing across Mm -hmm. chapters um, that we're doing. So um, we ask people to do that. And that's also to say, you know, we do have a few folks doing what you're saying, right? Like trying to profit from Black Lives Matter, but by and large, Mm -hmm. the people who are hashtagging Black Lives Matter actually genuinely mean black lives matter and genuinely want to do work that's important they just might not be a part of a chapter so that's not to throw shade to anybody Mm -hmm. who's not a part of a chapter who's doing work for the liberation of black people
0: that's right i'm glad you said that because i in the way i worded my question i was very specifically talking about the frauds but you're right that's the very that's the smallest smallest part of the people who are doing it um, so it's important that that people feel comfortable in supporting the movement in whichever way they can, right, right? Right, Um, I think it's important to note that Black Lives Matter engages in the same type of civil disobedience, or in the spirit of the same type of civil disobedience that Martin Luther King and the civil rights leaders engaged in. And that while Black Lives Matter, I think, uh, and you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but while I think Black Lives Matter agrees with Dr. King when he says a riot is the language of the unheard. By and large, Black Lives Matter has, is, is out there engaging in peaceful protests. Uh, Black Lives Matter has been so peaceful in the way that they engage that they have literally won peace prizes internationally. Um, however, Patrice wrote a book called When They Call You mm-hmm. a Terrorist because Black Lives Matter is often called a terrorist group by law enforcement officials. You had Los Angeles police uh, show up at your house, guns drawn with your kids at home, and later say you were swatted. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong about this. The LA Attorney General has targeted you and charged you with several misdemeanors, right?
2: Yeah, the city attorney charged me with eight misdemeanors. Okay, city. Misdemeanors, yes. And the district attorney's husband pulled a gun on me just um, in March.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. And
2: threatened, told me, I will
0: shoot you. So, what's it like being targeted? by our government in this way for simply protesting injustices?
2: Um, I think it's to be expected. Mm -hmm. And so this is, again, all of these questions that you're raising, and this is probably why you do this well, um, they all connect, right? (laughs) So it's um, the spiritual component of the work. There's spirituality to the work. There's a reason we pour libation. There's a reason why every Mm -hmm. morning when I wake up, I have to meditate, right? There's a reason why... Prayer work is important. There's a reason why, you know, when we hashtag names, we're actually summoning the spirits. Like I want to do, when we say Brianna Taylor, it can't just be because everybody else is saying Brianna Taylor. It's because we want to do the work in a way that really honors her and that is um, mm-hmm. as righteous as possible, right? And in alignment wow. with spiritual practices as possible. And I'm saying all this to say that, Um, so the first, so I had, you know, all of these charges, I've been arrested a lot of times. Um, I was charged for stuff I've never even been arrested for. Um, that was nerve wracking, but it wasn't terrifying. Right. Um, it, it didn't raise anxieties. It was a nuisance, right. More than raising anxieties. Um, I didn't feel like going to court constantly and I felt like having to mobilize hundreds of people to come to court with me distracted us from the movement, but I had to do it cause I was looking at the possibility of three and a half years. Right. Um, cause it was eight misdemeanor counts. And, um, I'm grateful to people like Carl Douglas for volunteering to represent me. My legal team was no joke. I had seven attorneys. Right. Um, okay. so it was dope, but The actual putting ourselves on the lines happens in the midst of protest. And so in March of this year, um, we demonstrated outside the home of District Attorney Jackie Lacey. Again, 622 Mm -hmm. people have been killed by police on her watch, right?
1: Gotta vote, guys.
2: Yep, gotta get out and vote. (laughs) What we did um, at this kind of sunrise action is before we went to her door, we poured libations, we did prayer, um, and we did a land acknowledgement. And then we set up our chairs to have this community meeting because the backstory is we had asked her for a community meeting for years. She's refused. And so we said, we're going to bring it to your front door then. Right. And so we set up our chairs Mm -hmm. and I said, okay, well, let's go ring her doorbell. Go to ring her doorbell, and all this is on video, right? Uh, go to ring her doorbell, and she has a ring system, which anybody who has one knows you can see exactly who she is, who's at the door. She knows who I am. Um, and we hear somebody come down the stairs, and then we hear what sounded like a gun being cut. Mm. So I look at my um, white ally who had gone to the door with me, Dahlia. And I said, oh, that didn't sound good, but I thought I was being paranoid. Next thing you know, the door opens, a huge gun, handgun is pointed out, and he points it directly at my chest and says, get off my porch. Mm. Wow. What happens is this just like um, veil of calm comes over me and I said, good morning. And he said, repeats, get off my porch. And I said, okay, we will get off your porch. Is Jackie Lacey home? You know, <laughs> can you tell Jackie that we're here for the community meeting? Mm-hmm. And afterwards I went and looked back and I was like, how did that happen? Right? Why was I not like, really? If I didn't flinch. People were like, you didn't flinch. I didn't mm-hmm. flinch, but it was because of the spiritual work, right? When right. Uh, um, LAPD surrounded our home, and it was 40 to 50 cops. It was a helicopter overhead. It was um, cars um, blocking off the street. And I thought they weren't there for me because I was like, what was happening, right? And when I looked out Mm. the window, um, two cops ran in front of my window and pointed AR-15s inside the window. So Mm. I did kind of go, okay, where are my kids? Got my kids into a back room decided to go live on instagram and tell everybody to get to my house because i figured if they were going to kill me they weren't going to kill me with nobody watching right um and finally when i decided to go outside because i didn't want them coming in so i felt like i had to go out to pull them away from my children right um i put my phone out and i yelled I'm coming out, my children are inside. This is a phone, it's just a phone. I kept yelling that, right? And I come outside and there were about a dozen to 15 neighbors already standing there. And so to speak to your question about what it means is one, we shouldn't be surprised. We're literally trying to topple these state systems. We're, I'm trying to undo policing, right? So for police to right. come back with force, that's to be expected. We'd be really naive to think we're going to say we're going to chant down Babylon and the uh, system's not going to respond to us, right? The system responded to Jesus. How did, <laughs> how did Jesus get nailed to a cross, right? It was, right. it was the that's state, right. right? So for us to be coming at the state, there's going to be repercussions. But the other thing is, there's truth to our chance. When we say we keep us safe, I came out the house. There were a dozen to 15 people outside. My neighbors who are not political were outside, right? There was a neighbor across the street. Um, the husband and wife, they have a little boy. The husband met me like right close to my door and he said, what are you doing? Why are you coming out? And I said, I have to, my kids are inside. So he said, all right, well, come on. And he literally put his body right in front of me. Wow. And I said, you know, what are you doing? And he said, well, you're not, <clears throat> you're not going to take the first bullet.
0: Mm. Those are those African principles you were talking about yeah. earlier. Community. Yeah. yeah. Takes a village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Molina, earlier you had mentioned that you were trying to undo policing. So, For people who are unfamiliar with that verbiage, can you break down undoing the police, defunding the police, abolishing the police, and where those things might intersect, overlap, or where you stand? Okay,
2: so we are, um, and we've shied away from saying this, and I think defund was our way of getting away from saying that we're abolitionists. Um, You know, policing and jails and prisons, they're not reformable. There are irredeemable Mm -hmm. systems, right? Um, Mm. Policing literally, and this is not disputable. This is my professor had. I challenge anybody to go look it up, right? White criminologists Mm. will even admit this, that the American system of policing literally evolves out of slave catching. So when we think about what chattel slavery is, and why it had to be abolished. And we th- when we think about how ridiculous it would have been to say, well let's reform chattel slavery. That's the same ridiculousness which with which we have to meet people who say let's reform policing. Policing is a vestige of chattel mm-hmm. slavery that has to be abolished. So, what happened about 6 years ago is we started looking at budgets and in Los Angeles, we spent upwards of 50% of our city's general fund on LAPD straight up, right? And then we looked around and most mm-hmm. major cities spend about that. And so we said, as we were sharing this information with people, everybody, regardless of where they were on the political spectrum, said 50%. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so it became really easy. It right. resonated with people when we said, You think the amount should be reduced? Okay, let's defund the police. So people didn't have to take an abolitionist stance, but when you defund the police, you really are on your road to abolition. The other thing Mm -hmm. I'll add is when we say defund the police and when we say abolish the police, I think people don't understand that, you know, if we think about Mama Harriet Tubman as an abolitionist or David Walker as an Mm -hmm. abolitionist, right? Or Henry Highland Mm -hmm. Garnett, as an abolitionist. They weren't just seeking to end slavery. Mm -hmm. They were visioning black freedom, right? They were saying, well, what does black freedom look like, right? And so that's Mm -hmm. what we're saying. We're not saying we don't want to live in safe communities. We absolutely want safe communities, but what does public safety, what does community safety look like? So we want to defund and abolish the police And we still want safe communities, recognizing that safe communities are built when everybody has housing. Safe communities come when people have good jobs, when there's quality after school programs, when we have mental health resources and health resources. And so that's all part of it. So we want to defund the police and reimagine public safety.
0: I'm with that. I'm so with that. Um, I want to thank you for always uplifting and shouting out Tef Poe, because Tef Poe is one of my favorite human beings. He's one of my favorite activists. He's one of my favorite rappers. And I'm happy to say that I watched his journey from, you know, sort of St. Louis local hero, MC to worldwide global activist. And um, I just want to thank you for always keeping his name in the mix. Um, You know, I really love that brother. Yeah, he's,
2: he's been an inspiration and a huge guy to a lot of us Um, and so we're grateful Mm -hmm. for
0: his constant work Um, now I don't know if you know this but I was recently suspended from Twitter
2: I heard something about that now I don't know why (laughs) but yes
0: I was suspended from Twitter because I got into an argument with a young lady the argument started out uh, about colorism but it quickly devolved and it quickly became ugly on both sides but largely uh, people who were supporting her were sending me death threats and doxing me, and coming particularly after the women in my family. Uh, she started this uh, GoFundMe campaign where she said she needed to call the FBI and get a, a restraining order against me because uh, she was being bullied by me on Twitter. Um, none of it was true, but I was sus- suspended because I got death threats to my phone, and I posted one of these death threats on my on my feed. I just neglected to put out uh, the phone number that the death threat came from. Now, this was a young black woman who led the charge on this campaign to get me suspended from Twitter. But she, in my opinion, was used as a tool by white supremacists who have been trolling me for for 10 years, by the ADOS people. ADOS is this anti-immigrant, quote unquote, supposedly pro-reparation organization. But, you know, it's founded by white supremacists from PFIR. Um, This young woman was quick to align herself with these white supremacist people because they supported her position. Um, in the era of online, it kind of goes back to my Black Lives Matter question about the hashtag. Um, how can we get people to understand that no matter how much we might disagree with a black person, uh, especially publicly online and stuff, it's never okay to align with white supremacists?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not okay to align with white supremacists. And it's also important that we remember that when we show cracks Um, it opens us up to white supremacists, right? So um, I believe in, and we practice in Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, a practice of calling people in before you call people out. So when you say things like, well, you know, Talib is a colorist or whatever, right? I don't know what
0: she said, right? They said that I raped children. They said that's, the, the, calling me a colorist, that's whatever. They said that I rape and molest children. That was the big thing that had me continuing. And when a lot of people said I should stop, but the thing that had me continuing was this idea that I rape right. and molest children. But Right, well, I'm
2: surprised Rosa didn't get you because Rosa used to get me. I used to go back and forth <laughs> with people and she was like, block and keep it moving, right? And so <laughs> it's a, a practice that right. I adopted years ago and I'm grateful to her for that, because I would get pulled into that if uh, if she hadn't had schooled me right. on it. Um, but when they call you things, right? And I think sometimes there is valid critiques within the community, right? But when you Absolutely. put them out for the whole world to get wind of, they exploit those um, cracks that might be reparable, right? That might be Something that, okay, well, that's just some stuff I didn't like that you did. And then we're going to talk it through and Mm -hmm. we're going to get back on the same page later. Right. But when you put it out for the whole world to see, it actually does open you up. You know, it opens you up to people who want to kill you. Right. Who are not Mm -hmm. just saying, you know, I don't like you. I don't agree with you. Or that was some foul shit right there. I don't know if y'all cuss on here, but, Mm -hmm. you know. Okay, good. Impressive. I've been holding that
1: for like an hour, <laughs> and I'm like twitching. I good. You gotta start so we gotta start telling people ahead of time so they can relax.
0: <laughs> we talk that shit. We talk big shit um, here,
1: but they don't. I think people
2: who do that don't get. They don't want to see you dead, right? And when they do that, they're they're opening it up. They're opening up a way. You know, even Trump's own administration is admitting that Mm -hmm. the greatest threat to this country is white supremacist terrorism, right? That's the greatest terrorist Mm -hmm. threat, right? And he tried to like, you know, get them to cool down the language, but that's what it is. And so they're coming for you, they're coming for me, they're coming for the movement. And we have to be very, very careful about how we love and protect one another in the words of Asada Shakur.
1: Uh, Much of that controversy that Talib was just speaking of um, was done in the name of protecting black women. Um, But it was black women in his life that kept being attacked. And I was amongst those. Uh, Does protect black women mean only protect black women that you agree with? And, um, on the flip side, does protect black women give a black woman a pass to go after someone without consequences? Does this mean that they are not allowed to question the character of a black woman participating in anti-black? behavior such as a Candace Owens. Um, can Do you think um, Black men can have public conflicts with Black women? Um, how do we navigate through all of that?
2: Right. Well, I didn't say this. I'm really sorry that that happened to y'all and it's happening to y'all. I know, like when we talked about um, kind of the toll that it takes, I know that these kinds of attacks can take a really, really heavy toll. And especially for you, Jasmine, as a new mom, you um, you know, I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. It's appreciated. You don't owe us that 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 apology, but uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I yeah but it, I
2: mean, we have to get what it means when they come after us, that we're real people, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as a mom of a new baby, you know, um, Talib is somebody who has a family, you know? We're real people. I have, an, I have a new
0: baby as well. Right. Uh, the, the 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 woman who has has my new baby she was attacked online by this by the same woman so it was like while she was right. pregnant so it was like that's I think that's what Jasmine right. was referring to
1: also I just told Talib I had to go on another blocking spree. Because I posted a picture of my child, which I was already going back and forth with because, you know, I'm like, I'm like in the D celebrity status. So I was like, I don't know if I want to post it or not. (laughs) But um, I posted a picture of my child and someone commented and they're like, oh, when your child gets sexually harassed and raped like Talib did, I hope that your, your voice change or your mindset changes. And I'm like, why the hell would you say something like that? Right. About my child. Why would you wish that on my child? At all. Like, that makes no sense to me. Well, this is what they do.
2: This is what they do. Um, When you talk about Black women um, and disputes with Black women, we always have to... You know, Zora Neale Hurston says all skin folk and kin folk, right? And if they are not acting on behalf of Black people, you know, there's a lot of Black people, Black women included who will prioritize their own advancement, their own um, building of a platform at the expense of Black people. And, um, you know, I think that a lot of times online beefs, especially with somebody um, like you, Talib, who has a platform, they're trying to get a tan off of your sunshine, and they are.
0: I like
1: that You know? I like that too.
2: And it's important that... um, we recognize who is an authentic representative for black people and for black women and call out the ones who are not, who are in it for their own individual advancement.
0: Yeah, I think Monifa Bandeli from uh, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, she was uh, uh, very uh, candid with me. Um, she's very loving and supporting of, of we, our fa- we, we family, that's my family. But she suggested that I made a tactical error in, in the way in which I engaged it. and you know, I think that me trying to engage someone who is not what you just described, but someone someone who' is not really for the movement for black lives, someone who's really not about that talk me tr- me trying to have a conversation with someone who f- honestly said they weren't here to have this conversation. that was an error on my point on my part and I think that uh you know I saw I saw, I saw consequences for it. um but swinging it back to the women because we were talking about, and I, again, once again, I appreciate your apology. You didn't have to give it. But it's, I, I don't want to make this too much about my feelings, um, even though my feelings are involved in it. Bringing it back to the women, what can black men like myself, myself included, do to better celebrate the activism of black women, to uplift black women who don't get mentioned, like the Ella Bakers, like the women who who became the face of the Panther Party, Angela Davis, the Satish Core, Elaine Brown, all of them like women like yourself, the sisters who started Black Lives Matter. What does black men supporting black women, especially right now with what's going on with Breonna Taylor, look like in your mind?
2: Yeah. So I'm so glad that we should be friends because you are in my head. Um <laughs> So this morning, um, so last night, one of my best friends in the world, who's really my brother, um, uh, Kendrick Sampson, he's an actor on Insecure, mm-hmm.
0: but, um, yes, yes. He's doing yes. his thug thizzle. Oh man. I love like. I didn't mean to say thug thizzle, but he's doing his thing. <laughs> <laughs> thug came I out. love that my brother. He <laughs>
2: is, he is like my brother in the truest sense. And we've been getting down <laughs> yeah. together for Word. the last five years And he, you know, really does tremendous work um, for BLM. And he's also somebody who allows spirit to lead him in his work. And we also both have terrible sleeping habits. So, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, we'll text each other. What you doing? What do you think that we should be doing for Brianna? (laughs) And we always like immediately text back because we're both up because we don't sleep. Right. So went to sleep very late at night thinking about Brianna and then woke up early Thinking about Brianna and um, spirit sometimes speaks to me. And I know people think that's weird for me to admit, but shoot, Mama Harriet Tubman admitted it. So I'm going to admit it. Sometimes spirit speaks to me and Mm -hmm. spirit woke Mm -hmm. me up and said, um, and I've said this before, um, repeated words that I said that black women are divine, black women are divine. And so I thought about the narrative that they're trying to ram down our throats about Brianna, right? That she Mm -hmm. and her partner are responsible for her own death. You know, think about how terrible Mm -hmm. that is. That, you know, they're coming for activists who are trying to stand in the name of Brianna. That online here in Hollywood, um, you know, a truck just ran through the protest last night and ran over somebody, right? Ran Mm -hmm. over two people, but seriously injuring one person. Um, And then a second car tried to do it, but missed. And they blamed the protesters. And it was so heavy. And then I thought about like, well, why don't we just reclaim, well, Spirit said this, why don't we just reclaim black women's divinity? And so one of the things we're going to be working on is this idea that black women are divine and we don't need them to validate it. Mm. We need to validate it. So exactly. Having all over the country these gatherings of black women's divinity, and the role that I think black men need to play is, I mean, honestly, you know, I think a lot of us, and I don't want to speak for you, Jasmine, but um, I'll speak for my daughter feel betrayed in some ways, right, by Black men, by Black Mm -hmm. men who, you know, talk bad about Black women and say, you know, this Mm is the reason we date white women, right? Um, Mm Yeah. From the anti-lynching movement, from the anti-slavery movement forward, Black women have always stood for Black men, right? We've always fought Mm -hmm. for Black men. And Black men haven't always reciprocated, and that feels like betrayal. And so I think it needs to be, I mean, we're going to say it. We're going to say, I'm going to say to you, Jasmine, Black women are divine. You gave birth to a life,
1: you know? A Black woman that's divine. That's right.
2: That's right. I mean, like, just, you know, logically, that is divinity. Life came through (laughs) your body. That is incredible. And I'm going to say it to you. And what I think Black men need to be doing is revering that as well. Revering that as well. So I hope you do that with your partner. I hope that you do that with Jasmine. But I also hope that Black men in general revere not just their mamas because Black men are quick to say, oh, I love my mama. Your mama is not the exception. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Your mama is the rule. This is who yes. black women are, and so we need you to revere our divinity.
1: I feel like black women are definitely just feel drained right now because of the whole Breonna Taylor situation, and then also um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Meg The Stallion situation, where as um, mm-hmm. she just got shot by, um, she said she got shot by a fellow artist. And people just are not believing her. They're like, oh, well, we need to hear Tory's side. We need to hear that. And it's like, why can't you just believe a black woman? Why would make the Stallion just come on a platform and lie and say she got shot by somebody? And at the end of the day, I don't care for what reason he felt felt the need to shoot somebody. You shouldn't. She was unarmed. You weren't in an altercation. You weren't fighting for your life. She shouldn't have been shot, period. And he just uh, released a whole album pretty much talking about talking about the the shooting and it's so many black men online talking about, yeah, I knew it wasn't what it said it was. And it's just so disheartening because when a white woman goes online and complains about something, all of these black men will sit there and, you know, show sympathy for her. But when it happens to our own people, if it's not your mother, if it's not your sister, you don't have the same sincerity. And it is really draining to, to me and a lot of the black women I talk to.
2: Right. My kids just checked my Instagram. They were like, why are you following Megan Thee Stallion? I was like, because I want to hear about what happened with this shooting, right? Because I also feel like she, and this is us, like, um, suppressing our own divinity, right? She covered for him. I know. She covered for him. I mean, that's loyalty, but it's also us saying we don't have the right to say what's happened to us and i get why she covered for him right and i mm-hmm. could get into a whole thing yeah. about my marriage
0: that speaks to a yeah. whole different thing mm-hmm. yeah. i've been in abusive situations and i covered mm-hmm. but but i also think also in term also not just the the possibility of being in an abusive relationship there but the idea of this no snitching code Yeah, that is it's not and no snitching from what i could tell started with activism Right. It started with we we are we are we are protecting activists in our community. But then it becomes this thing where it's like no snitching applies to social media mm-hmm. um, It applies to people are applying it to things that has nothing to do with. And I think our community is we don't we, we don't really see that no snitching code, which is helpful to some aspects of our of our life in resistance to white supremacy mm-hmm. but we don't view it through the, through, the, through the right lens and it could be harmful if we're not sharing our stories in the right way. Yes. Also I think as a songwriter I just gotta say if you're trying to say you're innocent the worst way to do it is to put out a damn song. Like you what know, is I worst. don't even
1: I don't even it's know kind, yeah. I don't even know what his song was about I, I'm not listening to I've read it. I read a
0: couple bars on, on I read the a couple room. bars and the the bars were like yeah but you're not saying you didn't do it I'm just confused <laughs> it's like I, may, I don't know. Maybe I need to listen to the album, but I don't feel like it. As <laughs> the kids
1: say, it's 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 com- it's confusing to me and my homegirls and we don't like it. But you know what you're pointing
2: yeah. to also, though, it gets back to the reimagined public safety, because where mm-hmm. did she have mm-hmm. to go to say this right. is what happened and get some semblance right. of justice for what happened without right. getting a state involved?
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. We don't feel safe going to the cops. Yeah. We shouldn't. Yeah, for good and she shouldn't. Yeah.
2: We shouldn't go to the cops. She shouldn't. But we should no. have circles of people we can go to who would have pulled him, and there would have been some form of justice that was
0: meted Agreed. out. Mm-hmm. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Man, I find myself saying to men often, we have to get out of the habit. Going a little bit back to what Jasmine was saying before, saying, "Hey." You can't disrespect women because I have a daughter. You can't disrespect women because I have a mother or I have a sister. It's like, if that's the only metric you have for not disrespecting women, you still have a lot more work right, to do. Exactly. It shouldn't be because of the proximity to women that you have in your life personally. It should just because, it sure. because, because women are divine. Women just because it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. um, to not disrespect women. So
2: Jasmine, when I said you were divine because life came out of you, I also want to uplift that black women are divine whether or not they can give birth. So I mean cis black women, I mean trans black women, I mean gender non-conforming black women. In fact, in many African spiritual practices, in some aspects of Islam, right, there are um, concepts of people who are gender non-conforming as being the closest to Allah, the closest to the creator. So I want to make sure that I'm clear when I say Black women are divine. I mean, all black women are divine. Mm
0: -hmm. That's right. That's right. Um, Big shout out to Sister Betty Shabazz. I want to talk about Malcolm for a second. Malcolm was famously quoted uh, in his answer to a question from a white student. Uh, She asked him, what could white people do to help the cause? He famously answered, nothing. Years later, as a more experienced activist, he said he regretted this answer. So I will ask you a similar question. What can non-black people do to assist the movement for black lives? Um, What's your take on white allyship?
2: Um, I love white allies. I I do. I love white allies. Um, So Rosa, we keep talking about Rosa.
0: Rosa's a constant talking point in my life all the time, no matter what I'm doing. In
2: 2014, (laughs) that question came and Rosa was in L.A. She was part of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. And she said, Mm -hmm. we need you to put your body between us and the police. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my favorite white people on earth, Dahlia Ferlito, heard that along with a brother named Jason, a white brother named Jason. And they formed white people for Black Lives. And um, Black Lives Matter from the beginning, even from 2013, has been a Black-led, ally-supported organization. Um, White folks, Mm -hmm. you know, white supremacy is your shit anyway. Y'all created it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have responsibility in undoing it. When we pour libations, you know, we always pour libation in the name of African ancestors. And I tell white folks, when you're by yourself and you pour libations, you got one name you could call. Keep calling John Brown, right? We need you <laughs> to, like, <laughs> right. be, put your body on the line, put your kids' bodies on the line, right. you know, put your money on the line. We need all of that. We need all of that. That's an important one. I don't want to have to do the work. I don't think any of us on here want to do the work of explaining to white people what racism is. I don't want to yes. have to explain to you why we say Black Lives Matter and why you better not say All Lives, right? I don't want to mm-hmm. have to explain it to you. So, white people, that's your work. We are grateful mm-hmm. to organizations like White People for Black Lives. There are some mm-hmm. white-only meetings that can happen, and that's one of them, right? Because I don't want to be mm-hmm. on the room in the room to white wipe your white tears. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And so if they're willing to do it, let's call them in and ask them to do it. And I said um, on Wednesday, I was talking to a bunch of white folks. Well, um, the white folks who were at the Jackie Lacey protest. And I said, you know, we need you to betray your race. We need you
0: to topple white supremacy. Betray whiteness, Right. 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 Thank you for keep mentioning Jackie Lacey too. It's like uh that story that you told, I heard that from the mainstream media perspective. And I was able to assess that, oh, this is some some bullshit from the mainstream media perspective, but it was awesome to hear it from your perspective. I appreciate you sharing Thank that
1: you. with us. Um I also say again, we got to vote that lady out. She's 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 She needs to move on. Please, guys, watching this in L.A. County, vote her out. On a separate but connected note, how can celebrities and artists and entertainers properly use their platforms to assist and be allies to the Movement for Black Lives? And also, do you feel like sometimes they just are better off saying nothing at all? Because I know I just saw Charles Barkley <laughs> talking about, oh, well, you know... <laughs> her boyfriend did shoot at the cops like what do you expect mm-hmm. and it's like they need to know like, when in america
0: do... where you can't protect your home yeah
1: if you gun. have a license to carry a gun and someone's shooting into your your house you're not gonna run underneath the bed and be like i got a gun don't shoot me you're gonna shoot back because that's what you have a gun for speak to us on how they should sometimes just not say nothing at all if it's gonna be detrimental <laughs> to the movement
2: yeah if you don't know what you're talking about shut the fuck up right There is space, though, for celebrities to engage. And this is one of the things that Kendrick has done brilliantly. He has an organization called Build Power, um, Mm -hmm. which actually helps celebrities and influencers kind of figure out how to harness their platforms and speak in a way that's in line with the movement. Mm -hmm. So we need everybody to really get educated on why we say Black Lives Matter, why we say defund the police, what it means to do that. And, you know, if we think about what, um, what's the tennis player's name?
0: Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka, Osaka.
2: yeah. Naomi Osaka. That was a, she didn't need to know a whole lot. She just needed to know she didn't let me stand in the name of Breonna Taylor and Tamir Rice. And yeah. I thought that was really, really powerful because what are they going to do? Right. And so she did that. And then he's there with Defund the Police shirt. And artists have an opportunity to not just use their platforms. There's a phenomenal book um, by a brother who I had the privilege of knowing in life. His name is Richard Iten. Um, There's a book called In Search of the Black Fantastic, um, which Mm. is about the way in which black artists used um, our allowed themselves to be used by the move, by the civil rights movement. And he says that there's three ways. One is using your platform. Then there was no social media platform, but when you're, you know, being interviewed or whatever, uplifting the messaging of the movement. Right. Um, number two was incorporating that messaging into your artistry. So, you know, people like your Sam cooks, right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: People like your, uh, Um, James Browns, right? People like Mm -hmm. um, Tina Turner or Sly and the Family Stone, right? Using their Mm -hmm. artistry to uplift the movement. But then the third way is to use the profits that you generate to fund the movement. And so I think those three things still hold and they've, you know, evolved over time. But I know that when Megan Good shows up at the Jackie Lacey Must Go rally, people go, Oh, shit. Megan Good is here. Right. When yep. Anthony. Right. Shout out to Megan. Good yeah. Good too. Anthony Anderson. What he did on the Emmys, right. Emmys. He didn't just do that out of nowhere. We've been in space with Anthony many, many times. Cedric, the mm-hmm. entertainer. He's been in space with us many, many times. Right. And so they That's might right. not be seen as movement celebrities. But when the time is right, when they have an opportunity, they use those stages that they're on to uplift messaging that they've coordinated with us. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, right. Regina King is one of my really, really good friends. She's, um you mm-hmm. know, before she had, she was an Academy Award winning actress. Right. She was, in the backyard of my LA mom's home and we celebrate our, um, our holidays together. And when Regina starts getting on these um, talk shows, she'll call and say, what should I say? And so just recently she was on Jimmy Kimmel and she made sure that she used the language that I gave her. And so mm-hmm. it's important that they do that in coordination with us. Um, and it doesn't have to be like vetted through me, but anybody who's actually mm-hmm. in the movement. Um, and if you want to get in the movement more deeply, again, Build Power is the place to do it, which is Kendrick's organization.
0: Kendrick yes. Sampson.
1: Kendrick. I want to make also- sure
0: I say that. People are looking for Kendrick Lamar's organization. Shout <laughs> no, uh, no. out to Kendrick Lamar, too, he who also, also shows up.
1: He also just posted a uh, um, uh, go vote. Uh, he, I don't know who he reposted, but it was the strippers in Atlanta, and they had like go um take your it take was like your take your ass to the, the polls, take right. your booty yeah. <laughs> take your booty to the polls, and they had go vote written out on their cheeks, and I was just like, oh my god, this is amazing, and then they all spoke on Jasmine,
0: yes, we got to get that to Capone. And yeah,
1: said, I was thinking that when I saw the clip, I was like, "You talking about strippers are not activists. Strippers are also activists. They just because they strip does not mean they don't right. know what's going on. Does not mean they're That's not out right. there marching." He, it, you got to watch the the, the the interview because, but Capone, yeah, yes, no, he came
0: around. He came, he came he around did, and made his point. We, well, uh, for for context, Melina, we had a uh, Capone from Capone and Noriega. Mm-hmm. On and he was talking about how, how in his music he called women bitches and talk about strip clubs and this and that. But in this moment he wants to be more uplifting in his music and he was like imagine a stripper you know stripping a for the cause and he was <laughs> it's a stri- stri- strip is what he said he said striperivism and then he manifested it it happened uh-huh. yes you know, so <laughs> thank the, you
1: Capone <laughs> shout out to
0: all the woke, woke strippers shout out to Capone's man Locke when Capone said, I don't know if you ever see strippers raising money for activism, Locke looked directly in a camera and said, I doubt very seriously that that's going to happen.
1: They're just going to write, go vote on their cheeks and make even bigger of a difference. So you guys go out there. Exactly. I'm with you.
0: Now, I'm glad you brought up voting because I have one more question for the sister. And it revolves around voting. And I think this is an important question. What, if any is the obligation of an activist to vote or to participate in the political process? What's your personal take on voting? And for those who don't understand why someone would choose not to vote, can you help them understand why disenfranchised people have the right not to vote?
2: Oh, okay. So you're going to get me in trouble with my mama and with some activists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, we we doing it all.
2: Um. So I personally believe in voting. And I think even as... A movement person, I believe that everyone should vote. As a spiritual person, mm. I believe everyone should vote. I think that you do not have the right to call on Fannie Lou Hamer and not vote. Um, and so mm. I don't think you necessarily have to vote for the Democratic choice. Definitely don't vote for mm. Trump, but I don't think that you have to right. vote for... You know what, the establishment parties say that you have to vote for, but I think that just in honor of our own grandmothers, we need to vote. Um, I also want to draw folks' attention to that there is a lot of attention that's being paid to the top of the ticket, right? That we have to vote Trump out. Mm -hmm. I'm not completely convinced. In fact, yesterday he said it. I'm not completely convinced that even if he is legitimately voted out he's going to leave. He said that he may not, either. right? Mm-hmm.
0: Um right, that's right. And
2: so he's going
1: to be a squatter in the White
0: House.
2: <laughs> right. I think unless somebody drags him and he'll have the court on his side, right? Unless somebody drags mm-hmm. him, he probably ain't leaving in January, right? Um right. I'm not calling that into existence, but you know, he said he would But you're Yesterday, a realist. Yesterday he said I am not going to commit to a peaceful transference of power even if I lose, right? <laughs> so, and he questioned
0: the voting process while he right, did it.
2: Right. So there's the top of the ticket. I'm going to vote against Trump for sure, right? However, mm. there's also all of these other issues on the ballot that we actually do have some power over, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, I keep saying it, District Attorney Jackie Lacey has signed off on the murder Mm. of 622 people at the hands of police. She has to go. Mm. We have to vote her out, right? There are other measures, ballot measures, Prop 16, which will bring back, make um, affirmative action constitutional again in the state of California, if we look at, you know, what's happening to black students, I'm an educator. Cal State system, which is supposed to be the university system to which everyone has access, is down to 3.4% black, right? My campus, which is in the blackest uh, or the county with the most number of black people of any county in the state, is down to 3% black. We have to vote yes on 16. Prop 17 will restore voting rights to formerly incarcerated people who finished their prison terms. Shouldn't they be able to vote? We gotta vote yes on 17, right? In LA County, we have a measure called Measure J, which they don't wanna call it this, but it's absolutely a defund the sheriff's measure. It takes their money mm-hmm. and puts it in things like mental health and housing, right? Don't we want right. more money to go to mental yeah. health and housing? We have to vote yes on absolutely. J. So. Even if you don't like any of the presidential choices, and I want to also be clear, you can also write somebody in. You don't have to vote for, you know, Biden or, or Trump. Make it up if you don't like the choices. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But you need to absolutely vote for other folks and other measures that appear on the ticket. And so I'm going to be voting. I've never missed an election. Except one time I missed an election when they moved my polling place and didn't tell me.
1: Do your research. Um, As you were saying, the different um, propositions that are going to be on there. I have my list of things that I've been um, I've been getting phone calls. I've been getting I've been watching commercials and I have everything written down so that when I get there, I know what I'm supposed to be voting. Yes and no on because Christmas treeing is worse than not voting because you might be Mm -hmm. voting for something that you have no idea that it's gonna, the damage it's going to do later on,
0: mm. for sure. Now, I wanted to add, because I'm sure we all have these people in our lives, people who feel so disheartened by the process that they just cannot square with themselves morally, spiritually, to, to, to vote. And, and, and you're right to point out that it's largely people who are only focused on the top of the ticket, right? But I've heard you speak about this in other places, and I'd like to hear you speak about it on this show, why shaming people, Particularly, disenfranchised people for not voting is not an effective strategy to get people to understand some of these things that they need to be voting for.
2: Right. Let me be real clear and more specific on that. The Democratic Party and Democratic voters shaming people who don't want to vote for Joe Biden is problematic. Right. Right. I think shaming overall is problematic, but I'm always angered when the Democratic Party chooses terrible-ass candidates, Like, like anybody who was running for the Democratic nomination was better than Joe Biden, right? But they picked Joe Biden, and they want to tell Black people there's something wrong with us, or young Black people in particular, that there's something wrong with them for not voting for Joe Biden. Why'd you pick Joe Biden, right? Like, that's somebody we can't get behind, right? Why didn't you pick Julian Castro? Because that's who I was for. Right. Right.
0: Right. That's who Rosa was working
2: with.
0: There goes Dick. Rosa comes back up.
2: If (laughs) Julian was a nominee, Mm -hmm. I would be pushing. I would be a precinct walking every damn weekend if it was Julian. Right. Mm -hmm. But you picked Joe Biden and then you want to shame us for not voting. Nah, shaming doesn't work at all. But you can't choose a terrible candidate who we told you from the beginning, we're not voting for him and then say, what's wrong with you for not voting for him? And this is how you get me in trouble with my mother. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because my mother's the same as your mother, because my mother is someone who's blue no matter who. And I understand I understand the logic and the the tactical strategy behind that when you look at the system. But I also understand that. She comes from a different generation, and I understand that that it's hard to square like it's hard to square how my mother feels with well, how my daughter feels mm-hmm. because my daughter's like, why should I vote right. at all?
2: So there's also this. Um, so when I say I think we should vote, right? And if you're not gonna mm-hmm. vote for the top of the ticket, vote for those measures. Vote for a local electeds, mm-hmm. right? Just vote, right? I think that's hugely important. I also know that no oppressed people have ever voted themselves into freedom. And I say that Mm -hmm. every time I get a chance, right, that we do Mm -hmm. not move. It's a misnomer to believe that we move from protest to politics. We have to Mm -hmm. vote. However, that's just one tool. It's not even the hammer in our toolbox. Right.
0: But it is a tool. It's a tool.
2: It might be right. the tiny ass Phillips head screwdriver, right? Not the right. one that's
0: the standard <laughs> right. size, right? Yeah, I I like I like that al- analogy yeah. a lot of a tool because I think that um, it's very hard for act. I think you you understand it, right? But like you said, we all have people in our lives that don't understand it in the way that you might understand it. That's why you're like, oh, I'm gonna get in trouble with my mother. Your mother might say something like, you know, it, uh, like you know, like my mother will say we have to progress, you know, progress comes from pushing things further in this direction, right? So it was like, we vote for Biden not because he's who we want. Uh, we don't agree with him on, on Medicare. or you know, we, we, we want Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Biden is against Medicare for all. But we have a, a, a better chance of pushing him to be progressive if we, if we go that way. I, I think about Obama. When Obama was, uh, came into office, and a very astute politician, I didn't agree with him about a lot of things, but when it came to playing the game of politics, he was very good at it. And he came into office and was anti gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And then, the, 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 because that was the temperature of the country. And then the temperature of the country got more progressive on gay marriage. And Obama, as a politician, I don't even know whether or not Obama is really for gay marriage. I know Obama, the politician, said, I have to publicly support gay marriage because the progressive people pushed the country in that direction. You know, and I, I think that, um, that's the argument with people who make who say the people who are vote blue no matter who. That's the argument that they make that that the Democratic tent, the liberal tent, you can have radical activists. You can have more centrist establishment Democrats. You can have the racist. You can have non-racist with the GOP and the conservatives. There's only seems to be one type of person when it comes to social issues. And I think that's the argument that, they, that they're making. Would you would you agree?
2: Yeah, for sure. And I feel like your mother and my mother must compare notes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed yes indeed well this has been my honor and my pleasure to talk to you to talk about your mother my mother to talk about our children to talk about Jasmine's new baby to talk about all this activism work all this movement work you're, you're, you didn't have to do this and I appreciate you coming on and speaking with us ladies and gentlemen the People's Party is proud to have Melina Abdullah thank you so much Woo! this is a great thank talk y'all. thank you so much thank y'all